Hello and good day, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Shadow Talk, brought to you by Digital Shadows. Shadows, shadows, shadows. And then in a wonderful change of, um, I guess, podcast lineup for today, um, of course, you got me, Sean, the the king of the ums, uh, but I'm also joined today by Ivan, uh, one of our intrepid analysts, and of course, one of our favorite um former hosts and frequent guests the one and only alec hey everyone glad to be back happy to be here it's uh it's good to be have the gang back together again for just a you know just a brief moment in time just feels like simpler times back before we were talking about ransomware every day uh you know things were so much simpler it's good good old days i'm just glad that your hair is still in top shape alec oh i mean you gotta take care of it you know yeah. I make sure to do it up before the podcast because, uh, you know, you can obviously hear how my hair looks. So, yeah, it's like, uh, yeah, I mean, you, you dress for success and everything else follows with it, you know? So like all of a sudden That's your it. voice gets more confident, you speak much better. Uh, I should probably take my, your advice and like comb my hair and maybe I wouldn't say um so many times, but that's where we are. So, uh, so we have a, another interesting information packed episode of the podcast this week um, as usual just a couple of quick discussion bites of some things that's uh, been going on around the press in the about the last week or so uh, so for those of you who might have missed it the FBI was successful in seizing yet another 2.3 million plus in Bitcoin from a reveal of affiliate um, there's a lot of speculation going on about how they might have gotten a hold of said wallet and said funds. Um, and while 2.3 million is a nice chunk of change to do some really cool stuff with, I know what I would spend it on almost immediately if I had that amount. Sadly, it's just a drop in the bucket compared to the overall profits of Rebuild over the last year. Um, I know that there were some estimates in the neighborhood of about $200 million in money made by Revil and affiliates uh, just in this past year. So literally just 1% of their total earnings. So, uh, but certainly a nice chunk of change. I could definitely put a basketball court in the backyard um, by the Lamborghini I always wanted. Maybe uh, buy some time on a Gulfstream. So, but uh, just a drop in the bucket. Um, in other news too, the other uh, kind of exciting thing on the other side of the pond is, and uh, the subject of this week's intelligence summary from Digital Shadows is a new law that's making its way through the House of Commons and Parliament. Uh, regarding the use and security of information of technology devices, which also includes different types of smart devices like your phones, your tablets, and other things. Uh, basically, their lawmakers have recognized that the industry as a whole has failed when it comes to securing these devices. And so uh, from what it looks like, um, they're going to start trying to enforce stronger, stricter standards um, and hopefully help secure some things where the rest of uh the makers out there maybe have failed us. Uh, also, fun bit of trivia uh, while reading that story is I learned that there's actually a department for digital culture, media, and sport in the UK, So, which I would love to be a part of. I think we all would be great on that team. Um, and then finally, the last little quick bite is uh, those of you who may have been watching the Manage Engine Woes, which is a um, helps make it popular help desk tool um, that does, you know, basically like your asset management and updating. Uh, apparently that there's been a, a wider range of victims, according to uh, articles from CNN and Palo Alto, um, basically 
uh, more uh, organizations were targeted than originally suspected. Um, they're thinking that Emissary Panda is probably behind it based on the activity and signatures. So if you're using Manage Engine in any way, make sure your stuff's updated because you know we're two months after the advisory from CISA and people are still getting popped. So update your stuff. So that'll lead us into the newest uh, variant of ransomware out there. Um, I know Ivan's been on top of this, especially since um, just in the last couple of weeks, we've been seeing a lot of this stuff. So to paraphrase kindergarten cop, Ivan, who is Sabbath's daddy and what do they do? <laughs> Great question. Uh, so Sabbath, they are a ransomware gang, and they have been going by many different names, uh, including 54BB47H, uh, Arcane, and Eruption. So Sabbath, they were first discovered around September 2021 uh, when they made a post on a Russian-speaking cybercriminal forum called exploit.in, uh, and they were looking for part partners to, to join their affiliate program. Uh, and the group later created their own data leakage website uh, on the dark web that went by the name of 54BB47H. Uh, but the website has actually been down since about 15th of November. Uh, so Sabbath, they have been known to target the critical infrastructure, uh, including the healthcare sector, education sector, uh, natural resources sector, uh, primarily in the UK and Canada since June of 2021. So, and for those that are fact checking out there, that 54BB47 was it? Oh, wait. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that's all part of the old school lead speak for those that are checking on that. So, that's uh, how you'd spell Sabbath back at the day on the old forums, or um, maybe if you had a beeper. So, um, so kind of a fun little twist on the name. Um, but so, have they been related to any other ransomware that we know of? Yeah, so uh, the data leakage website for Sabbath was nearly identical to one for a group called Arcane, uh, down to all the grammatical errors on the website. So many believe that Sabbath is simply a rebrand of Arcane. And uh, this is enforced by the fact that the beacon samples and the infrastructure from both of the ransomware variants are the exact same. Uh, however, the researchers did say that the group did make a few technical changes uh, likely to improve their tactics. And uh, Mendian classified Sabbat under the name of UNC2190 uh, and associated the same threat actor with another ransomware variant called Rocoast, which was active back in July of 2020, so more than a year ago. So that shows that the ransom this group is not the first time that they deal with ransomware uh, and work with, with uh, ransomware. So I guess like, you know, I, I know that they, they're kind of doing something a little interesting that's that's somewhat different. I know you mentioned like beacons earlier, um, but you know what are some of the things that they're doing like as far as TTPs and like what is the unusual bit about them? So Mendienta, they released a report on Sabbath recently uh, and they observed that the group was providing its affiliates with the pre-configured Cobalt Strike Beacon uh, backdoor payload. So although beacon payloads are fairly... Uh, common in ransomware intrusions. What was unique about this intrusion is that the affiliate program provided its own beacon infrastructure uh, for, for all of its affiliates. So this was unusual and uh, it provided challenges for attribution. And also it provided some venues for detection, which is the plus side. Uh, Sabbath, they also actively attempt to destroy backups uh, when they infect victims. And uh, they have been known to be labeled as the backup killers 
and uh, they will, after they steal the data and destroy all the backups, they have been known to be extremely aggressive when it comes to extorting victims. And uh, a good example is when they targeted a U.S. school district and uh, the group emailed all the staff, all the parents, and even the students to apply more pressure on the school district. That's pretty crazy. Do they, this is something I can't remember from the article, do they do any kind of data leak stuff or are they strictly just ransomware slash destroy? Yeah, they do have a data leakage website. Uh, I didn't remember seeing many victims on there, but, uh, and the website has been down for about 15 days, but uh, they do have a data leakage website. So that means that they highly likely planned uh, on uh, leaking data. Wild. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of an interesting name. I wonder if they're like Ozzy Osbourne fans or if they just don't roll on Shabbos. But these guys are going to be definitely interesting to watch, I think, just because, you know, uh, new techniques as far as like Cobalt Strike, as we all know, that's like kind of been the new hotness. It's like the TikTok dance for criminal groups and then nation states too. So um, Cobalt Strike is everywhere. Um, super interesting. I know we will definitely be keeping an eye on it. So, and then, and uh, <clears throat> I know I racked my brain for probably like a couple of days trying to think of really good puns here or just really bad Swedish words to use uh, to, around this next story. But um, IKEA is dealing with some woes right now. Um, basically, they have gotten uh, their email systems hacked in a couple of different ways. So, and I know we've touched on business email compromise in previous blogs and you know other podcasts. So. What exactly is a replay chain email attack doing, Alec? Yeah, no, it's an interesting one. And the story just continues to build itself uh, as time goes on. Uh, but but really, the reply chain email attack, it's when a third actor is taking over legitimate corporate email and then replying with links. So they might reply to an already ongoing conversation. You know, you might be messaging Tim in accounting at Ikea about the Swedish meatball recipe and then they reply back with uh, a legitimate looking because it's coming from the same individual that you were talking to. And so then you obviously the level of trust there is already high and you can go ahead and know that what they're sending is legitimate. But in this case, it is actually very much illegitimate. It's linking them to a malicious domain, which then downloads in this case in Excel where an additional malware is then uh, installed onto uh, the uh, victim computer. So yeah, as you can imagine, business email compromise, I, I always like to say it's that redheaded stepchild. Every year, the FBI puts out their internet crimes complaint report. Uh, and typically, we see that BEC is a is close or above the uh, monetary amount that ransomware is as far as victims go. So that's pretty wild. That's like, you know, it always comes up as like a top threat, but like you said, there's not a lot of focus on this. Everyone's always thinking ransomware, but it's like, it's almost more scary when, you know, for those that don't, you know, kind of understand what the business email compromise works, you know, it's basically me, Alec and Ivan emailing each other and about 20 replies in somebody takes over Ivan's account or my account and they're replying as me to Alec, but they got malicious stuff. So at that point, you know, they're already taking you as, you know, taking for granted that you're, you know, a trusted embedded person. Um, so you're going to, you know, download or, or open up the attachments or, you know, perform, you know, go to the URLs that I send you or, you know, whatever it is. And so it's, uh, it's pretty crazy because you can actually compromise more email accounts and it just becomes like whack-a-mole. Like as soon as you shut down one, they may have two more. 
so it's pretty crazy. Um, what what kind of exploits have we seen in this this attack so far? Yeah, so they're suspecting potentially leveraging the Microsoft Exchange vulnerabilities, specifically proxy shell and proxy login vulnerabilities, to go ahead and then gain access to the server. Then once they have that access, they're able to use the internal Microsoft Exchange servers to go ahead and then start conducting those reply chain attacks. So again, it's all about just abusing trust and where threat actors can go about doing that. They recognize that at this point in time, most users are getting to a point where they can recognize some phishing. Uh, and most organizations are at a place where they have enough filters put in that it's difficult for them to get through. But phishing is still such an impactful and widely used tactic that it's any way that they can go about continuing their use of phishing, they will. Yeah, just as a shameless plug, we you know as we talked about in our vulnerability research that just came out last week, um, there was you know a lot of talk about how you know actors are continuing to uh, exploit a lot of these exchange vulnerabilities. I know for proxy login, we're looking at like almost almost a year old, and then for the other proxy vulnerability, I think it's what, minimum of five or six months old at this point. So, you know, these are likely vulnerabilities that are still, you know, elsewhere, not just at Ikea. I mean, there's probably some other companies have been slow to patch or slow to move to um, Office 365 in the cloud, you know, and maintain their own exchange servers. Um, so it's kind of interesting, but like, what kind of other lessons learned might there be for companies, you know, coming out of this attack, you know, like not to be an ambulance chaser, but like, you know, what kind of lessons do you think that, you know, other we, we could get from this. And I think it's just continues with the things that we we always say in security is really just that zero trust mentality and just having the thought that anything that you receive is malicious, even though you think it's legitimate, treat it as it could potentially be. And so, uh, you know, obviously it's not necessarily the best way and security is not always fast, but it's better to kind of take that approach and go slow and make sure that you're not clicking on something and really trust your instincts because a lot of these things are going to seem out of turn or potentially there might be enough to make you kind of wonder question in some of these in some of the cases specific to ikea they had users actually going and retrieving emails from quarantine thinking that it was a mistake that they didn't get the attachment so again it's just trusting your instincts and and kind of going counterintuitive some to some of human nature um, can can really help you to potentially thwart these different tactics yeah, that's, um, you know, something like that, you know, it's one of those things, some, some of those, you know, phishing emails, some of them are really good. You know, I've, I've seen some in the wild and, um, you know, and then you have those other ones that are, you know, it completely, the the grammar changes, the language use changes and all that stuff. So look for those, you know, different signs, you know, and maybe verify with somebody. Like if it's, you know, me, Alec and Ivan, and we're in an email chain and all of a sudden Alec just out of the blue sends me this weird Excel that I don't even know what it's about. Um, I might message him on Slack on the side and say, hey, man, what's this attachment about? Or, you know, um, or maybe you give somebody a heads up, hey, I'm sending you this Excel. This is the thing, you know, and then you look out for it in email, you know, to, to kind of get those positive, um, you know, transfer of data, I guess, back and forth, like without having to resort to two factor or other stuff. Or maybe you text him and say, hey, did you did you mean to send me this rich text document? You know, um, so, yeah, it's interesting, like. You know, the, the look for those different clues because they they may be subtle, but they're you know they they're always there. So, um, but that also brings us to the 
last point for this week actually is um, there's uh, kind of been into this interesting phishing campaign going on um, from several different actors that Proofpoint's been able to identify. Um, but it's basically using some weaknesses with rich text format um, and basically how it delivers information you know, as an, as an attached document. So the concern is, you know, that there's been about, I think, three different campaigns so far that they've observed um, from kind of the, the big countries. So it got, you know, India, Russia, and China, or, or, or linked actors that are using this technique. But basically, um, they're abusing the way that rich text format or RTF basically handles um, the template functionality. Uh, so you can basically put a malicious URL within the functions of the document so that when it goes to open, it reads the command to visit a URL to pull down information rather than trying to um, locate a correct file. Um, and what's kind of uh, interesting about this is that while the URL itself can be um, you know, weaponized and maybe your security tools can catch that, um, they've also found that they can um, hide some of that code in you know, your, your normal Unicode. So at that point, you're using, instead of Unicode, it's, um, or I'm, I'm sorry, instead of looking for actual you know, English letters, it's just looking at Unicode, which your security tools may not see either. Um, so just kind of interesting that like kind of a somewhat simple attack like this could, could be um, so dangerous just because of the fact that, you know, once it gets the command, it'll visit the URL, maybe in the background, download a file, download a template, um, and basically abuse that the way documents are handled um, within rich text format. Uh, and that's kind of similar in the fact that, you know, you have PDF documents out there and, you know, they're done with Word and Excel and PowerPoint also, um, where, you know, it's pulling down information or data from an external source. So, you know, there's not a really a lot of good ways to get around this either. Um, you know, the, uh, it may involve, you know, stripping attachments from emails or sandboxing attachments uh, in order to, you know, or maybe you just completely restrict the use of RTF um, within your organization. Um, but the, the, the real big concern that, you know, I definitely agree with that Proofpoint talked about was, you know, everyone watches each other as far as in the criminal side and on the nation state side. And the fact that um, you have three nation states that are basically uh, the thought is that one of a couple of them are actually copying the other, um, you know, this is going to have a trickle down effect to criminals. So, you know, the, the big thing here is, you know, if it's, if it works, somebody else is going to use it. And so, you know, the, the, the idea of this may spread a little bit. So um, really great art write up by proof point on this um, and just something to, to be on the lookout for, especially if you're, um, you know, looking at security tools within your organization, or you are an email admin or anything like that. Um, just things to look out for, you know, the fact that you have an RTF document that's pulling down information from a malicious URL, something to look out for at network logs. So um, keep on the lookout for this. Definitely recommend checking out the Proofpoint research. Uh, we should have that in the show notes as well, um, if you want to take a look. Um, but yeah, they keep improvising and keep doing some crazy stuff as we'll talk about here in a minute. Um, but uh, that pretty much kind of brings us to the end of the episode, unless uh, you got any party comments, Alec. Nothing from me. I think oh. that, uh, yeah, that was really interesting right up. I'm looking at it now from Proofpoint. It's really interesting. And like you said, it's only a matter of time as this, the threat actors do. They like tend to share information. What works is typically adopted. And monkeys do monkey do, as we like to say. 
Yeah. Yeah. And especially, uh, yeah, I was just reading a thing from, um, one of the other security vendors out there about how, you know, there's that increasing gray, gray area between like criminals and nation states anyway. Um, even China's like kind of dabbling in a little bit, um, you know, and, and probably other countries as well. So whether it's a contractor or somebody moonlighting, you know, these, these techniques can and will transfer. So interesting. Um, so a couple of plugs from us this week uh, are in some that'll be coming out um, will relate to the internet of things legislation that's ongoing in parliament in the UK uh, that we talked about at the beginning of the podcast. Uh, we also have a couple of uh, great blogs. Um, one of them is not mine. I mean, I did write it, but it's not one of the great ones. It's uh, but talking about proofs of concept um, and kind of wrapping up our series on vulnerability intelligence. Um, so just understanding, you know, there's a couple different arguments about how POCs should be handled and how that kind of relates to the overall vulnerability and exploit uh, environment out there. Um, so some additional context on some of the research we did and pointing back to some of our previous blogs on the topic. Uh, what I thought was actually a really great blog was there's um, our Photon team actually wrote a blog just talking about how deep fakes and vishing are being um, leveraged in the criminal underground. Um, some pretty fascinating points that got brought up, especially the fact that there are like legit voice actors that are out there um, or, you know, just the availability of voice software to basically perform different types of vishing attacks uh, to, you know, get deep fakes going. And as we've seen over time, they keep getting better and better. Um, you know, the, the amount of um, things that you can do now with deep fakes as compared to, you know, not even five years ago is it's uh, come leaps and bounds. So definitely check out that blog. It's a really interesting write up on how that's going on. Um, and then also in a somewhat neglected realm, uh, we also talked, we have a blog about cyber threats to governments. So interesting read by our own product manager, uh, Mike Marriott, um, to take a look and understand how we are uh, defending against government victims and how, you know, government on its own should protect itself. Um, as always, if you heard anything on the podcast that you're interested in checking out further, take a look at some of the content we have in the attachment section below. Um, otherwise, um, feel free to drop us a line uh, to wish us, you know, a happy holidays, a happy Hanukkah, or a Merry Christmas, um, and to, um, you know, give us a break from the usual spam. So anyway, uh, we thank you again for listening. This has been Visual Shadows, Shadow Talk. Have a great rest of the week.